There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. One of the things that I hear in talking to clients is that being strategic is one of the biggest criticisms people get in their feedback, and it seems to hold people back from senior jobs. It's also a complaint I hear from lower down in the organization. We don't know what the strategy is. We don't know where we're heading. I need more strategic directions. Now, being strategic isn't just having a plan. It's really about having a great plan. I would even argue a unique plan that's going to let you win in the marketplace. But to do that, you need insight. So that's what we're going to focus on today. How do you get insight? Where does it come from? How do you have more of it? Because that's what's going to drive success ultimately in the marketplace. So my guest today is Liam Fahey. Liam specializes in strategic leadership, competitive strategy, marketing, and business intelligence, or as I like to say, strategic thinking. His research has appeared in lots of places, including the Strategic Management Journal, Academy of Management Review, Journal of Marketing, California Management Review, and Harvard Business Review. He's the author and editor of eight books and well over 50 articles or chapters, his books, a couple of them that have been fairly well received, are Learning from the Future about using competitive um, scenarios and also competitors, outwitting, outwitting, outmaneuvering, and outperforming. And his latest book to appear this year is called Insight, which is about how do you link strategy, intelligence, and insight ultimately in order to win in the marketplace. Liam has done a lot of work with a broad range of industries from manufacturing to service to nonprofits. And just a few of the clients are AT&T, Bosch and Lomb, Daimler Chrysler, DuPont, GE, Honeywell, IBM, J&J, Marriott, Motorola, P&G, Pfizer. You get my drift. Lots of experience. Liam, welcome to the show. Hey, Wanda. I, I'm excited to talk about this because I know that this work about how do you get more insight has been a long force, a long uh, cause of yours. So just in the simplest way, what's your key point about insight? It usually comes down to this in working inside organizations. It's all about extracting more value out of analysis work that has been done or should be done. In other words, improving the output from existing work or potential work. Okay, now you're talking about just analysis that's done within the strategy function or the planning function, or are you talking about much more broadly than that? I'm talking about any kind of analysis done by any group of people inside an organization for almost any purpose. Because typically what I see is groups do good work, they've got profiles they want to complete, they've got a set of PowerPoints they know they've got to create, and that becomes the driving focus, purpose, and scope of the analysis work that is done. It is not addressing real insight in the way that I talk about insight. 
Okay, so then just for the record, what do you mean by insight? What's your definition? My walking definition of insight is the following. Superior understanding that makes a difference to thinking, decisions, and action. Okay, so superior understanding. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So it's all about building new and different understanding, whether that's of competitors, customers, the marketplace, technology, government action, uh, where the market is going to be in five years, whatever. And then the second part is extracting from that its implications for our thinking, our decisions, and our action. Okay. So if I put this in really simple lay terms, it's really about looking at the information, the analysis you had, and deciding what it means. Is that a simple way of describing what you should do about it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it involves really rethinking what we mean by data, what we mean by analysis, what we mean by the outputs, <clears throat> the purpose of those outputs, and how they are used. Because quite frankly, the word insight is wildly abused in all organizations. Yet when you get sit down and work with people and see what kinds of analysis they're doing, one output is not insight as I'm talking about. Okay. That is generating really new understanding that is going to make a difference or will make a difference to thinking decisions and action. Okay, so thinking decisions and action. I guess I'm astounded that companies are not just naturally extracting insight from the analyses that they do. I mean, what else would be the purpose? Well, let let me give you a little experiment that I've done many, many times in the last 10 years. Okay. Okay. A, A team is about to present the output of its analysis to some executive group or some other group inside the firm. And before they go in to present the analysis, the question I will ask is the following. What insights have emerged from your work and how will they make a difference to the thinking decisions and actions that we're confronting? And the answer I usually get is something along the following lines. That's a really important question that you've just asked and we'll need some more time to reflect on it. Because what they've created is all kinds of outputs. You know, what competitors are going to do, what's happening with customers, change in the marketplace. But they really don't boil it down to identifying the new understanding that's coming out of it, where they can clearly show the new understanding compared to the old understanding, what the difference is and its implications. So, for example, take a recent example an analysis team doing some very good analysis on a set of current and prospective customers ended up with a lot of descriptive data on the customers, who they are, where they are, what they do, how they buy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but no real insight into emerging and future customer needs, the motivations of customers, and what it meant to our marketing strategies, etc. So it was description rather than insight. Okay. That sounds very common. 
very, very common. It reminds me often in an executive education class, when we've just done an exercise, I ask people, so what's the insight? And they look at me like I'm blank, like that word doesn't even mean anything. And I had to change the question because I don't get an answer to it. Mm. And one of the keys to build on that is getting people to um, articulate very clearly the difference between their old understanding and the new understanding because it's the difference that's really important. So, for example, uh, your new understanding of the behavior of a competitor as it's entering a market versus your old understanding of what that competitor might do, there can be a world of difference between those two forms of understanding. And, of course, the implications back to our organization, what it means in terms of our thinking about the market our marketing decisions and actions, et cetera, is where the real importance comes through. Okay. So, Liam, this may be a ridiculous question. I watch a lot of people, I agree with you, not draw implications. They don't stop to say, what does this mean, and therefore what should we be doing as a result of it? Do you think everybody is capable of having more insight, or is this something that needs to be relegated to a particular group? Well, I like to walk on the premise, maybe it's a hope, that everybody can contribute to and generate better insight. Um, What you see happening, and it probably is what should happen, is you'll have a team of people working on some analysis who are the drivers of that analysis and therefore the shapers of whatever insight comes out of it. Um, One of the real keys, however, is is incorporating other people. So being willing to go out to others to get new data, different kinds of data, get their judgment, uh, play off their judgment against our judgment, uh, expose them to our findings, our tentative insight, and get more people involved in the thinking process that's obviously a part of any good analysis. Okay. That sounds like, you know, what we talk about in terms of collaborative processes, a a really critical thing to be doing so that you're not just blinded by your own perspective. You're actually vetting that with other people to see what they see, what they say, if they agree, they disagree. Yeah, I mean, in very simple terms, but very powerful terms, um, getting to insight often requires you to get outside your historic mental models. So if we see the market behaving in this way, again, to take a recent example, if we think that our competitors are all behaving from the point of view of price competition, and we begin to discover that there's one competitor that's moving to value-based competition, is creating a solution for some particular customers, we won't see, understand, and analyze that shift if we submit and subscribe to our historic mental model that all competition in this marketplace is about commodities and price. So getting to insight almost always challenges long-held concepts, beliefs, assumptions inside our own organization. So is it critical that you know what those challenges or that you know what those mental models of beliefs and assumptions are in order to do insight work or does it just naturally come from trying to gather the insight? Well, the, the, the great irony of doing insight work is that you often inadvertently and unexpectedly expose what your mental model actually is. 
So if I go back to the example I just mentioned, <clears throat> by virtue of looking at a competitor who was changing the basic value proposition in, <clears throat> in the marketplace, we only then began to realize what our historic mental model was about how what products succeed, the characteristics of products, the nature of competition, the importance of pricing. It was all things that we had generally accepted, but had never really exposed and challenged and reframed. Okay. So, Liam, does this mean if I were in the hotel industry, for example, and I were actually doing insight work, I might have seen the rise of Airbnb or understood the implications of it quicker, faster, and been able to respond to it? Is that what you're driving towards? Yeah. So, if you're in the hotel business and you're scanning across your your market and you're looking at different categories of your customers and you're asking where are those customers using their bed nights, where are they coming from, who is providing them, what the trends are, you should have picked up at a very, very, very early stage what Airbnb was doing. And then if you made some projections, alternative projections, you would find out very quickly where this thing to take off and explode uh, implications back for us in any part of the hotel industry are going to be major. Right. And that actually highlights another aspect of insight work. There's a big difference between facts and insight. Mm Mm-hmm. Because insight is often getting at understanding of the emerging or potential future for which there are not a lot of facts. The facts are about the present and history, but by making some judgments uh, based in part on those facts and projections of how things might unfold, we can build an understanding of what the future might be. And if it were to be that, the next question is, what are the implications back to us? Right. I like that. I want to just repeat that one. That insight is not about facts. It's about understanding of an emerging future, potential future, of which there are no very few facts about it. The facts are about the past. So insight is really a looking forward. Yeah. Now, that, that, that doesn't deny the importance of facts or the usefulness of what's now called fact-based decision-making. Mm-hmm. But when that becomes a pivotal and critical part of your mental model on how to think and how to analyze, you become very reluctant and in many instances completely disinclined to make projections about the future and therefore you're restricting your capacity to generate insight. I got it. So if you go back to the B&B example, you would wait until all the data were in of how emphatic B&B was going to grow and what its implications would be and then in many respects, it's too late. Yeah, yeah. All right. So it sounds to me, as I was listening to this, that this notion of um, being able to get insight, to have some forward, to take our data and our analysis and do some forward-looking projection about customer needs or marketplace trends or competitor moves or anything else, having that scenario and then asking about the implications back end would be really, really valuable. Now, is there a process for going about do this, doing this, or is it just magic that we get there? Um, no, unfortunately, we, we can't depend on magic, nor can we afford to leave it all to chance. Good. Uh, so I'm glad to is, hear that. Yeah. So there is a set of steps 
that are involved in in doing this work. And in fact, okay. that's the whole purpose of the book that you referred to earlier on. Okay. Um, it's right. a fairly elaborate set of steps, but once you've been through it, it becomes almost self-evident so that you can replicate it next time around. Okay. Um, Great. Yep. All right. I want to talk about that one. I'm going to hold it for just a minute. Let me go backwards. Is there any place where insight is not terribly useful? It's hard to think of, of any place where new understanding into the context or situation would not be helpful. At least I haven't I found have... any. Um, now, I can imagine your question, your, your question, your question does raise a very important issue in terms of the culture and behavior of organizations, because I've heard it said more than once, in fact, quite frequently, particularly by senior executives in a hurry, that we don't have any more time for thinking or reflection or analysis. Translated, we don't have any more time for further insight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my working definition of a closed mind, and that is always <laughs> dangerous. Okay, right. I can well imagine, though, that an executive would say there has to be a mm-hmm. moment at which we stop the analysis and the reflection and move. And then, in theory, mm-hmm. he would love to you know, pause after some results come back in and do yeah. some more insight work. But presumably, this just does, or does it go on all the time? Should it go on all the time? And the answer is yes. Um, so if you have an insight, let, let me take one that, that uh, was recently working on. Um, I'll describe it generally. Um, we had a situation where <clears throat> we had uh, three technologies that we projected were coming together and would create a very significant new customer solution. So we articulated what that insight was and derived its implications. Mm-hmm. So that insight is derived at, say, uh, T1, time one. Mm-hmm. Now, that insight can only be validated over time. In mm-hmm. other words, a future-oriented insight cannot be validated today. You can accept it uh, for purposes of decision-making. So you validate it over time by doing the following. Mm-hmm. That technology insight gave rise to a set of indicators that we needed to track to assess whether or not that insight was reflective of the world as it was evolving. Mm-hmm. So we, we identified indicators around specific technologies, around competitor investments, around some regulatory change, around some customer behaviors, etc. And as we monitored those indicators over time, were able to validate that our indicator was indicative of the future that was emerging, but with one big but, it was happening faster than we had initially projected. Uh-huh. So we were able to adapt the insight to say that the new customer solution would be in the market within 18 months, as opposed to some date non-defined, and then we could really look at the and refine the implications back to us in terms of how we think about that market, what the key decisions are and what actions we need to take. Mm-hmm. So the insight becomes a way of giving you indicators to monitor about the future. I can well sense, imagine... The insight work continues. Yeah. 
I can see why this would be enormously helpful, particularly as everybody is aware of the ambiguity, the speed of change, the number of new technologies or new startups that are emerging and gaining traction, that if you were really, really focused on this one, you'd know where you stand in the growth curve and be able to take action faster than anybody else. I can see why that would lead somewhere really positive. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, in fact, that's the intent of work I'm doing with a colleague right now <clears throat> is to link insight work with lean innovation work in the very early stages of major new investments in opportunities. The intent is through insight work to build a better picture of what's currently and pros- what's currently happening and prospectively likely to happen so that we can, to use the old phrase, learn from the future before it actually happens. Yep, yep. Sounds magical. Yep. Okay, Liam, um, this sounds like I'm convinced now, you got me totally sold, that being focused more mm. on this insight, that we're seeking new understandings about things that are likely to happen in the future, looking forward, how those are going to affect us, affect competitors, affect customers, affect profitability, affect our strategy, and drawing that insight back to the implications of what we do today. And I really love your example here that if you can recognize that something might happen, you have an insight that it might happen, then you start looking for indicators that you can monitor to say, is it really true? Am I really right? How fast is this coming? And so forth. And then be ready to move ostensibly when the time comes. And I see your point that this would be work that goes on continually, not just at the startup of a project, because, you know, all sorts of things could change along the way. So, Liam, uh, let's take a break. Um, And when we come back, what I want to do is then to talk about what are the steps that take us through? What is this elaborate, complicated process that can be replicated And that's going to lead to insight. So again, with me today is Liam Fahey. The book that we're talking about is Insight. And Liam is a leading thinker on how do you think strategically. And you can see why. It's not just about one more data, one more competitor analysis. It's about understanding what's different today than what we saw in the past. And we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., Helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern time 5 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you are listening to out of the comfort zone to reach dr wanda wallace or her guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5790 again that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com now back to out of the comfort zone welcome back I'm with Liam Fahey, and we have been talking about insight. How do you get more perspective, understanding, in order to make better decisions, to make better planning processes? Now, the basic principle of insight is that you do all your data analysis and you do your PowerPoint presentation, but the question at the end is, what do we know differently today that we didn't know before we did this analysis, and what are the implications of that? Often, insight work is looking forward rather than looking backwards, so we don't often have the data for it, but it can certainly give us some things that we should be tracking to understand how quickly is this future scenario materializing or is it materializing at all. So, Liam, I love this notion that insight is a process and that there are some actually defined and replicable steps to lead people to create better understanding, better perspective, better challenges of their mental models. So walk us through what this process actually looks like. Okay. The first step in insight work is actually one that rarely gets serious attention, and it is the following. Where do you want to spend your time in doing, quote-unquote, insight work? Because it typically doesn't make any sense to do it everywhere. So you've got to start by asking the following question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our current portfolio of analysis projects, where would it make most sense to spend our time doing insight work? And there really are sort of three questions we ask here, and they're each very important. The first one is, what analysis projects are most important to the business? Mm-hmm. And the second question is, where could insight work help to create, and how could it help to create superior understanding to make a real difference? Mm-hmm. And the third question is, identify where and how it could make a difference. So if you take those three questions, you'll usually find that there are some analysis projects that are more worthy of investment and time to do real insight work than in some others. Because going through the steps that I'm going to walk you through does take some time. And with a limited number of people and other resources, you've got to invest your time and resources where you're going to get the greatest benefit. Right. So step number one is always asking, where are, the pro- where are the analysis projects 
where we should be investing our insight, time, and resources. Okay, now I can imagine that companies get pretty stumped on that one. So I can imagine if I'm in the hotel industry, for example, and someone says, well, we need to do some analysis on where our customers are coming from or going to or variations on that theme, I would have said, I already know that. Why would we waste our Mm. time? So how would I persuade an executive before I've done the analysis that it's worth the time? And and that's literally what we address, which is building the business case mm-hmm. to do insight work. Okay? okay. So if you can show them that it's an analysis area that potentially is of real importance to the business, um, our understanding is limited, our old, our subject to our conventional wisdom, and give them some examples of what the new understanding might be, and then show them how it connects to our thinking about the market, our customers, our value proposition, what decisions it would lead to, etc. You, in essence, build a short, tight business case mm-hmm. that this particular area of analysis is worthy of attention. Okay. And okay. by the way, usually what comes out of that is a set of questions from the executive team or the managers in, in, involved that helps to sh- that sharpens helps to sharpen the focus of the inside work. Okay. Okay. So All right. So that's step, step one: is deciding is, where we're going to really invest the time. Sorry. Said so that's step one: deciding where yeah. we're really going to invest the time in actually doing serious insight work. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. What's step two? The step two then is asking a very powerful question. Uh, with regard to this area, so whether it's customers, competitors, new market, entering a new market, uh, emergence of a new technology, whatever happens to be, uh, what kind of data do we have or can we obtain? Mm-hmm. And this is a critical question because insight most often is influenced by new data or looking at old data in a new way. Mm-hmm. So it requires people to be very clear on, if it's customers, who are the customers, what kinds of customer data, where do we get the data from, who's the source of the data, etc. So again, a common example in customer work, and this may surprise a lot of people, very often the analysis does not go back to the customers who have left us. <laughs> and where you do a fairly detailed dive into who those customers are, why they left us, the cause of why they left us. Uh, in particular, was it products? Was it relationship? Was it brand? Okay. Mm-hmm. And implications of their leaving for our decisions and our actions. So if you look at that set of data on customers who have left us, you typically get a very different understanding of our business than you get from existing customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, same with competitors. Very often, companies won't look in any detail, if at all, at small competitors or emerging competitors, and sometimes not even with substitute competitors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this whole question of data, types of data, kinds of data, how we address data, uh, becomes very, very important. Okay. Okay. I can see that. And so, and I can see how you're challenging the existing assumptions and mental models about what drives this business, 
because to determine where you're going to get the data or what new data you need, you have to challenge how you've always been looking at the data. Yeah. And in fact, in some cases, and this is particularly crazy for people who are data scientists, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. I would say, look, we're going to actually invent and create the data. And they look at me like I've just, you know, fallen off the wrong log. What I mean is the following. We do, for example, invented competitors. So we'll we'll develop a competitor that's not in the market today, and we'll develop for that competitor its potential strategy, the way it would execute the strategy, how it would win in the marketplace, how and why it would win against us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we invent this whole data set around an invented competitor, and then we ask, how would we compete against that competitor? Mm-hmm. And 50% of the time, I'd say at least, what we discover is a new way of thinking about our customer solutions, how we want to go to market by virtue of inventing that competitor. Mm-hmm. Another example of, of creating data is we develop an ideal day in the life of a B2B customer vis-a-vis dealing with our business. Okay. So from that customer's point of view, what would be the ideal relationship and forms of interaction that they could have and maybe should have with us? Creates a whole different data set to think about customers than anything you're likely to gather from existing customers. Right. Right. Okay. So that second step on, on, on data becomes, becomes very important. Right, right. Well, I was going to ask you, if you don't have much data when we're looking forward, where do you get the data from? And you just did, answered it for me. You get it by imagining something that doesn't exist or dreaming up an ideal yeah. <clears throat> or asking the what-if question, okay? Yeah, or, yeah. or we create formal, formal or informal scenarios, or we do computer-based simulations, or we do competitive gaming, or we'll take three or four competitors and game them out against each other going out over three or four years. So there's different ways of of bringing a future bias into the analysis. Okay. Okay. All right. I get that. So we've got step Uh, one, which is being really clear about where we want to focus our insight work. Where is it worthwhile? Two is challenging the data that we have or that we can get and in particular, thinking about ways in which we can create data that we've not looked at before. What's step three? Step three is what I call inferences. That is, drawing inferences from the data that we're looking at. Now, this is where step two and step three are very connected. So let me give you some examples. In step two, what we really want to get at are indicators of change. So what are the indicators of change around the competitor, around customers, around the marketplace, around technology? And we'll typically map out the change around a set of indicators. And from that change, then, we need to draw inferences. In other words, what's that change telling us? Mm -hmm. So if I go back to my technology example that I talked about in our first segment, when we did out the projections of the technologies, the big inference that we drew was that these technologies are coming together. A particular competitor could marry these technologies. A particular competitor could evolve a new customer solution out of them. And if that competitor were to develop that solution, it could radically change the dynamics in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. 
So step three is all about extracting tentative value out of the change indicators that you've crafted in step two. Okay. And I like this because... Go ahead, go ahead. There's one other point that that now always comes into play here, and that is being very cognizant of the distinction between small data, big data, and what's in between. Okay. So this is where step two and step three get to be highly interactive. Lots of companies nowadays, quite obviously, are heavily into big data. And they've got many data scientists running around in a data analysis department extracting all kinds of patterns via software from particular kinds of data that they've managed to capture. And once we identify those patterns, then we stop and ask, what is, the, what is each pattern telling us? What inferences are we drawing from these patterns, whether it's inferences about customer behavior, customer needs, change in marketplace, where technology is going, who knows what? That's a primary focus of a lot of companies. But you need to be careful from an insight point of view because those big data databases have a lot of data that's not in there. And the data that's not in there is very relevant to insight work. Mm -hmm. So on customer data, we just had an example where there was very little data from the customers who had left us, and there was no data at all from prospective customers. And we had minimal data from our competitors' customers. So we had three major categories of customer data that were absolutely critical to insight work and the insights that were derived which were not in the databases generated by and big data analysis. <laughs> and then on the yeah. other side of that picture, <clears throat> small data. I think the truth is that more often than not, substantive insights that lead to major differences and implications come from smaller or smaller data than they actually do from big data. <laughs> And by small data, I mean here a conversation that one might have with a customer, a visit to a customer's plant, okay? uh, listening to the CEO of a competitor in their quarterly conversation with security analysts, mm-hmm. uh, reading an article in a tech journal. These would be classified as quote-unquote small data, right. but they may be sufficient to draw very strong tentative inferences about things of the utmost importance to the marketplace and to us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes small differences in data can give you a big indicator of likely emerging change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you see a customer who is buying slightly less or buying from a different rival, uh, that small difference can lead to some powerful uh, inferences, I won't call them insight yet, inferences about customer behavior or competitor behavior or pricing shifts or whatever. Okay. So I'm always right. trying to emphasize with people, look at both the small data, quote-unquote, as well as the big data and everything that's in between. 
All right. Well, and that makes sense, too, if we're really looking at emerging opportunities, emerging changes, that you probably would not have a big data set on that one. You're much more likely to have small mm-hmm. data. That, And I love this notion that you create an indicator out of that to track how likely is this, how fast is it going to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, Liam, is there a step four? Yes. Step four is where real judgment is required and real knowledge and expertise is required about the business, the, the marketplace, etc. And time is required. Because what you're doing now is you're immersing yourself in the inference that sets you have drawn and you want to pull them together to get at a tentative and accepted insight. And so you can imagine a set of people sitting around a table who are reading through the inferences that have been drawn and are trying to extract a higher level inference uh, that will become the basis of an insight. So, example, we've got a multiple, multiple sets of inferences around customers. Now we're reading through these inferences. Question, what are they telling us about current emerging or potential customer need? What are they telling us about current emerging or potential customer behaviors? What are they telling us about emerging or potential switching of customers from one rival to another? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're rising above the preliminary inferences that have been derived to get a, what I call an integrated inference on the way to an insight. Mm-hmm. And these integrated inferences become critical because it allows people to pull on their own knowledge and expertise to create something that is not self-evident in the data, the indicator, or the inferences. Okay. And it's this part of inside work that really turns people on because they see the value of the perspective that's going to be in the insight that historically they didn't have and are going to see what the potential new understanding might be compared to what it was. Okay. Okay. Now, presumably, this is where we need to start with lots of different people involved so that we get different perspectives. Yes, absolutely. And this goes back to steps one and two in terms of thinking of the the, uh, opportunities for inside work and the variation required in data. Equally, you need variation required in analysis work, in thinking work, in reflection work. And this is where you you bring in people from different functional areas. You bring in people from different levels in the organization. You may bring in some new employees, some millennials, or whoever you want to break them out. It's also where we will, if we can, we will bring in people from outside the business. We will actually bring in customers, channels, Mm -hmm. um, technology experts, consultants, and probably, if you're really stuck, maybe business school professors. (laughs) Fair enough. What you want to get at, and we we build this into the analysis process of taking different perspectives. So, for example, we'll ask, if you were a small customer what inference would you draw from the set of inferences that you have in front of you? If you were a major dominant customer, what might be your perspective? Okay. If you were a competitor coming into the market, what might be your perspective? Right. So Great. we'll ask people 
to put on different hats, walk in different shoes, to bring that different perspective to the set of inferences that have been derived. Right. And Great. that always leads to a different uh, integrated inference. People okay. see the world differently. Credit. All right. Okay, Liam, we're going to have to take a break here. Um, uh, integrated inference is the word I want to remember here. Fascinating. So four steps to do. One is be sure we understand where it is worth our time to focus on insight work. That's going to give us the biggest payoff for the business. Number two, step two, is taking a hard look at the data we have or could obtain with a focus on the fact that it may not be data that's readily available. And then we have a number of ways of creating new data like scenarios or competitive gaming. Number three is looking at inference. What are the indicators of change and how do we map that out and what does that tell us? And then we create a set of those inferences. And then step four is really understanding how do we integrate those inferences into getting a different perspective than we have had in the past. And that involves asking a lot of people. So with me today is Liam Fahey. The book is Insight. And we have been talking about the ways in which you can drag, perhaps kicking and screaming, your company or your business unit into a different form of strategic thinking. And that is, how do we get insight about what might happen, could happen, and therefore what we need to be doing about it, rather than just another set of data without implications. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Welcome back. I'm with Liam Fahey, and we have been talking about how to ramp up your strategic thinking, largely by doing more than looking at the data that you've looked at in the past and driving genuine insight from new, imagined, future-oriented data that helps you understand a different perspective than you've had before. We were just talking about the four steps in insight work. One is being really, really clear about where this is worth it for the business and looking hard at that one. Number two is looking at the data that you might have or could have or could generate about the future and not just getting stuck in the big data that you have. Sometimes small data is relevant. Number three is trying to draw inferences. What is that data telling us and how do we map out the changes that might be occurring? Number four is integrating those inferences from a whole different point of perspectives, different competitors, different experts different inside, different layers in the organization, different generations, so that we get an integrated inference. And Liam, I think there's one last step, which is step five, and that is? That is uh, amalgamating the integrated inferences into a carefully articulated, succinct insight that's usually no more than about two sentences, which says, this is our new understanding. So I'll actually just read one that uh, we worked on uh, uh, some time ago. Uh, Here it is. A set of emerging technologies, if they're progressed in specific directions and converge over the next three years, could potentially open up a whole new market space that would obsolete many of today's dominant products. That insight led to dramatic implications for how we thought about the market, technologies, and products, uh, strategy decisions that had to be made, and a whole new action program to get us to the new generation of products. Okay, fabulous. So, So once we've articulated the insight, then we vet the heck out of it. Uh, does the reasoning hold up? Is there data to support it? How might it be refuted, etc.? So we, we invest an amount of time in what we call vetting the insight. Mm-hmm. Great. So, and this is also part of what's going to get more buy-in. I can imagine that people have been involved in both the identification of the opportunity in step one, as well as the uh, integrating the inferences and now in vetting it. We've got a lot more buy-in for that insight than we would have had otherwise. So, Liam, one of the things that it strikes me here is that this takes a different kind of culture, to be open to this sort of work. Are you finding the same? Yes, it does. And in fact, as teams get involved in doing this work, they are in effect changing their culture, but we never mention that we're changing our culture. We just let it happen. Okay. So, and what kind of culture is best suited or what sort of emerges out of this? Yeah, I mean, the... By culture here, I mean essentially values, norms, and practices. Mm-hmm. So the culture that's changing around our analysis world is recognizing the value of insight and that the purpose of doing analysis is to generate insights that will have major implications for the business and not generating a stream of PowerPoints, which historically was the norm. Uh, It also changes norms of behaviors in terms of how groups of people or a team interact and engage with each other. And they become much more willing to challenge each other in terms of their data, 
their suggested findings, their analysis, their outcomes. And they become much more used to having real tension in the conversation. For example, is that a valid inference? Does that inference hold up? Okay. So the, if you watch the group, the dynamics of the behavior changes in the group without anybody drawing attention to it. I love it. So if we're looking for a way to get teams um, having more substantive debate with each other, it sounds to me like insight work might actually get you there. Uh, yes, it does. It does. Now, it, it also leads to some very clear implications for team leaders and for managers and for executives uh, because, number one, they have to become aware of what insight work is all about, what insight means, etc., so that they can engage in conversation with analysis teams and with others. Okay. Yeah, I can see that one, and I can yeah. see that it would force some executives to challenge some of their assumptions, um, even recognize some of their mental models yeah. about the business that they're yeah. operating in. In specific leader behaviors that we try to develop and work with people to to build an an insight-driven culture, uh, we ask them to focus on insight-related questions. Mm -hmm. So ask the team, are they developing real insight? What insights are emerging from their work? What are the big Mm -hmm. insight questions that, that they're raising? Right. We ask the leaders to emphasize the importance of multiple types of data, multiple sources of data, and we ask them to be very tolerant of the amount of time that this requires because you're asking people to immerse themselves in data analysis and inferences to get to that insight that's not at all self-evident. Right. Right. Okay. So this is going to drive leaders to be more clear about the kind of questions that they ask. So questions that are going to lead to stronger conclusions as opposed to just critique. To focus on the kinds of data and the sources of the data and have a little bit of patience with the implications and how quickly or slowly they might come in the process. All right. Yeah, and in, in, a, in a number of divisions, I can't say a large number, but in a small number of divisions of companies, what we've got leaders to do is to ask and insist on analysis team presentations that they start with the summary insights that have emerged from their work and show the implications of them and then build up the reasoning that got them to those insights and those implications. So put the emphasis on the output of the analysis in the form of insights and not on the data and the analysis tools and techniques that were used to get to those findings that led to the insights. Right. Fabulous, Liam. I can see how that would change the conversations that happen around the table. Sadly, we're out of time. So with me today is Liam Fahey. The book that we have been focusing on is Insight. The Liam has a number of other um, books, including Learning from the Future and a lovely book on competitors, Outwitting, Outmaneuvering, and Outperforming. So you can imagine this work on Insight is going to lead companies to think differently about emerging opportunities, to engage and debate with each other in a different way, and fundamentally to change the culture of how we talk about opportunities in the marketplace. So, Liam, thank you for being a guest. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Likewise. And join us next week for more wisdom and insight on how to get out of your comfort zone. 
Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.